Thank you, Josh. Let me pray for Davis. He opens the word for us. Sweet Jesus, you equip the saints for your good work. And we lift up your servant, Dave, right now. And ask for your spirit to be moving in his heart and in his mind and in his tongue. Lord, as he opens the word for us, may your spirit move in our midst also. May we hear with our ears, but we may, may we hear with our hearts. God, may it move to our feet that we might be a people who apply your word in our daily lives. Mm. So, God, we lift up our anointed brother to you and ask for your hand to be on him and to guide him in your name, according to your purposes and will. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. So I, I loved his reference. Josh mentioned putting on crash helmets and buckling in. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Annie Dillard is one of my favorite writers, and she had this, this quote one time where she said, if we really believed when we came to worship that the Holy Spirit was going to be showing up, we wouldn't be putting on Sunday bonnets. We'd be putting on crash helmets. And um, I, I actually believe that, that uh, we, we paused as we were uh, praying through the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, and we paused and reflected on that. And, and I'm just going to invite you to actually believe this morning, to believe that God's kingdom is coming and his will is being done right here, right now, as his word is being proclaimed, as the Holy Spirit speaks what's on the Father's heart and what's on Jesus' heart, as that comes down and it comes into you, Jesus says the kingdom starts within. And right now the kingdom is going to come and it's going to come upon you and within you with a word from Jesus that is a little bit of a harsh word. It's a balance between the carrot, the whip, and the end times. Is that the, yeah, the carrot, the whip, and the end of days. That's the name of the sermon this morning. And uh, I, I felt like this morning I, I kind of kicked a few teeth in on the, on the first service, including my own, because I, I, I have this relationship with, with God where things are going along fine. All of a sudden, he just kind of grabs me by the ears and shakes my head and gets his eyes really close and says, really? Come on now. Um, I used to be a high school teacher, and uh, I was a lay pastor. I went to Western Theological Seminary. I grew up, by the way, just 20 minutes from where Steve Brooks grew up, back in Ottawa County, Western Michigan. And I was a high school teacher with, uh, you know, the, the seminary training in, in here in Colorado. And um, I found that as a writing teacher, as a teacher of English, if the students didn't believe the paper was ever going to be read, no one was going to read the essay, they go like, why bother? And they might cut and paste some quotes from someplace and go through it half-heartedly and turn it in and maybe the teacher's gonna read it and put a grade on it and they'll get it back and throw it away. But I became a journalism teacher. I taught newspaper and, and yearbook and everything the kids wrote was gonna be read by the whole school or at least a lot of people in the school. And then they started taking care on what they wrote and turned in. It was very motivational. And I played that card up and I made a point of saying, did you hear in the cafeteria, everyone was talking uh, about your story about the parking lot, whatever, you know? It's like, if what we're doing actually is going to get an audience and is going to be looked at and taken seriously, then why bother? Yeah, bother because it, it, it's gonna be seen and it's gonna be evaluated and uh, maybe talked about and make a difference. But if, 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 
Nobody's going to look at it. Why bother? Our lives, we are writing stories. You know that. You're writing a story about getting ready for church this morning or whatever. You're, you're, you wrote a story last week about watching some television. Maybe, maybe you went to a Bible study. That was part of your story. What you said to the neighbor across the fence, that was part of the story you're writing. The story that you're writing with your life is being looked at by a cloud of witnesses in heaven. And it's going to be looked at and reviewed with you on the day you meet the Lord. The end of days can be his return to earth, but it will for sure be the end of your days. The end of your days, when you die or when the Lord returns, you will face the Lord, and so will I. And the Lord, with all of time of, of eternity at his disposal, he will sit down with me and the Holy Spirit, and the book of my life, and he'll lay it out and says, remember this? Remember that? And it'll be reviewed. It counts. There's an audience for the book of my life, and it counts. And the same thing is true for you. So uh, are you ready to sit with Jesus and review your life right up to this moment? Um, I was, as I said, a high school teacher, up until 9-11, 9-11, the Twin Towers came, and I fell under a deep conviction. It was one of those times God grabbed me by the ears, and he says, do you see what is happening? We are entering into a new season in world history, and this will be a season of shaking. There will be judgments. There will be tribulations. These will be hard times. I was not convicted for sure whether these are the last days before the return of Christ, but I am very certain that we haven't hit the peak of it yet. Probably around 2020, I'm not a date setter, but I think in the cycles of history, we are going to see an increase in troubles in this world, leading to perhaps World War III or the return of Christ or who knows what. I, I really do believe this, and it's changed how I live my life. I quit my teaching job, and I became a church planter and planted a church up in North Denver and Wheat Ridge, and um, now I'm working, a, I started a ministry for homeless on South Broadway up in Denver. I really believe it counts what I do with my life. And anything can count if God has called you to it. But this morning we're going to be challenged by the word to be very thoughtful about what we're doing, the story that we're writing with our life. The, the, the scripture this morning is coming from uh, Luke 12, if you care to follow along. Um, this is one of the parables. We're looking at one of the parables that Jesus taught. Uh, the, the, the whole extended version of what he taught is called the Olivet Discourse. The Mount of Olives, he was discoursing or talking or preaching and teaching. On the, on, just shortly before he was given over, uh, betrayed by Judas and given over to suffering and death, this was a very important teaching to him. And he was making sure that his disciples and apostles got this. These are like one of his last sermon uh, parables. And he's saying, like, I'm going to tell you this five different ways. There's five different parables, and they're all, like, saying different aspects of the kingdom is coming. 
the kingdom comes when we hear the word and receive it and we start lining ourselves up. This is a kingdom church. I know Eric. I love Eric. And I know that's a theme. Him and Ben and this whole community is constantly pressing in. You know, the kingdom starts within us and it's among us and where there's justice and as we align ourselves with God. When Jesus gave us the good news that he had come and that he had was going to do this work on the cross and then he was going to send to heaven and then we were going to now take this kingdom and start living into it. He didn't just stop there. He said the rest of the gospel is, and by the way, you can't possibly do it all by yourself. I actually will come at the end of days and finish it up for the world, for my father. I will do what you can't do. I will finish giving the devil and the, his, his minions the boot ridding this planet of evil and bringing justice and rebuilding and restoration and a golden age with myself, Jesus said, on the throne of David in Jerusalem. We're pressing towards that. We're pressing towards that. The problem is it doesn't happen fast. It's a long journey. It's a long journey. Um, I... I'm from Michigan, as I said. My wife is from California. We live in Denver for 35 years. We just had our 35th anniversary. And we've had a great time. And we love our road trips. One trip to California every year and one trip to Michigan every year. It's a long drive, right? It's a long drive in either direction. And we got in the habit of doing a uh, service check on the car. I would take the car to the service station and say, do a safety check on it, change the oil, and get us ready for the road trip. So imagine this, that I go back to pick up my car after they've given it the look-see, and the service tech says to me, um, the car's in pretty good shape, we change the oil, except for you got four bald tires. There's no tread left. Dude, I don't know how you even made it to the gas station here. You should have had a blowout along the way. Your tires are in terrible shape and you're never going to make it all the way to California on these tires. Somewhere's out there in Nevada or Utah on the hot asphalt, 140 degrees, you're going to have a blowout, if not sooner. You're never going to make it. And I hear this advice and go, well, that's interesting, but eh, I'll give it a shot. We'll see what happens. I mean, that would be stupid, Right? I'll be out there with my cruise set in, in Utah on the Salt Flats, 80 miles an hour, and no, a tire's going to blow, and it's going to be a blowout day. Um, I want you to consider this. Jesus said, okay, we're going on a road trip, and it's going to take a while to get there to the day of my return, to the end of days. And he said, I want you to be ready and I want you prepared. I want you to get cars ready. I want you to get you and your life ready, but it's going to be a long trip. And for some of us, um, we're going to say, well, it's been, it has been a long time and I'm not sure he really meant it. I'm not sure I can even trust that word anymore. And we might get careless. For some of us, when we even hear the, 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 the phrase, the end of days, the end of this age, and, we get scared and all we can think of is like everything's going to fall apart. My house is going to get hit by a meteor. Um, there's going to be pain and suffering and the end of the world. It's the end of the world. But for others of us, when we hear the end of this age, we go, all right, because that means the dawn of the golden age, the millennium, the reign of Christ. Some of us are looking forward to the end of days until when Jesus returns 
And I, I think that we should be. As Christians, we should be looking forward. Now, we know that there could be some hard times along the way. But what's at the end of the journey? Off there in California, I want you to imagine that there is a five-star hotel in Palm Springs or some beautiful place on the beach. And when you get to California, you check in and they hand you a fistful of vouchers to all the best restaurants in town. There's a hammock between two palm trees beside the pool with a jacuzzi. There's going to be windsurfing for the young people and gardens to walk around in. I mean, you want to get there. It's a good thing. Jesus has said, my kingdom is coming. I'm going to return and it's going to be Palm Springs and then some. This is something good. But Jesus knew that some of the people who heard these words weren't going to be ready. They're running on bald tires. They're not paying attention, and they're going to have a blowout. And yes, if you're one of the Christians who has a blowout and never makes it there, it's a bad day. That blowout might turn into a 20-car pileup, and you may end up in flames instead of on the beach eating fresh fruit and enjoying the, the breeze. I'm going to pick this story up in um, Luke 12, verse 37. He's been telling a series of parables, as I said, all about the church getting ready, his people getting ready. He's saying, I don't want this to be a blowout day for you. I want it to be a reward day for you. And he's wrapping up one of these parables in verse 12, um, 37. How happy, how blessed. Man, these folks got grins on their face. Are those servants who master finds them awake and ready when he returns. See, in another one of his parables, he says a lot of people, their, their love is gonna grow cold and they're gonna fall asleep. And when the master shows up and surprises them, it's not going to be a pleasant surprise. You remember one of the parables in Matthew, the same parables found in Matthew, right next to this parable is the parable of the, the, the 10 silly teenage girls. You know, the 10 virgins, that story with the bridegroom and all that? Most of you know that story. And in that story, Jesus has 10 young women waiting for the return of the master, waiting for Jesus, and all 10 of them fall asleep. I mean, he's saying that there's going to be a lot of us who are falling asleep. Now, fortunately, five of them had some oil in their lamps and were ready. Five of them didn't even have the oil in their lamps, and they had to go off. And by the time they got back with the oil, right, the door was closed. The party had begun, and they were on the wrong side of the door. That's a stark warning. That's just one of the warnings he gives us. But um, he says that some of them, even though they might be asleep, they'll be somewhat prepared because they'll have oil. They got enough gas in the tank to make it to Palm Springs, right? But he's, he's, he's hitting this from five different directions. And in this parable, he's saying, man, you want to be ready, right? So we're going to pick it up now in, um, again, uh, verse... 37, how happy are those servants who master finds them awake and ready when he returns. I tell you, the master will take off his coat, have them sit down, and he will wait on them. How happy they are if he finds them ready, even if he should come at midnight or even later. He's warning them it's going to be a long road trip. He's warning them. But he says they are going to be happy if they're ready, right? Right? 
He keeps saying this over and over and over. And you can be sure that if the owner of the house knew the time when the thief would come, he would not let the thief break into his house. And you too must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you are not expecting him. Now he's been hammering this. And bold Peter, you know, Peter's finally ready to, to explode and he says in verse 41, Peter said, Lord, does this parable apply to us or do you mean it for everyone? He wants to get this figured out because he's, he's going, I'm hearing a theme here and, and I'm not sure what to do with this. And uh, so Peter asked this question, who's this parable for? And Jesus, as he loved to do, instead of saying yes or no, it's for you, it's not for you, or it's for everybody, he answers the question with a question. And that's the sermon series, a bunch of questions, right? So what's the question Jesus asks back to his audience? Jesus says, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise servant? His parables, have, some of them have been talking about servants, and now he's saying, who is the faithful and wise servant? servant. And now he's going to tell yet another parable. And this parable is one to pay attention to, assuming you want to be a faithful and wise servant. Peter had some things, some conversations, some question and answer, some Q&A with Jesus that's not in scripture, right? He might have said, uh, uh, Jesus might have told Peter, he says, you know, we're going to go visit your mother-in-law next week. Can she have the matzo balls ready? I love her matzo balls, right? That's not in scripture because that wasn't for everybody. That was a conversation just between Peter and Jesus. This conversation's in scripture because it's for all of us. It's been meant to be preserved for all of the church until his return. So this conversation is for us this morning. And it's an important one. Now, it's interesting, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise servant? Um, the word he's using there for this servant is like the boss servant, the good steward. Oikonomos is the word. Oikos for the house, oikonomos, the master of the house. Who's the one who's in charge? Who's the good servant? This caught Peter and our attention. He's saying like, who's the good CEO? Who's the good captain of the ship? And we're going, okay, well, you know, that's, that's an important person, an important position. Let's hear what he has to say. So this kind of, of leader is the uh, steward or the captain of the ship. But then he shifts. The good servant is the one that his master will put in charge to run the household and give the other servants their share of the food at the proper time. And now he's shifted to the word doulos. And I want to just take a minute for you to understand this because this is, this is Jesus' affectionate word for us. He loves to call us doulos. The word doulos is used 126 times in the New Testament, in the Gospels and in uh, the Epistles. Peter said, in 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, he says, uh, this is from Simon Peter, slave of the Lord, Doulos of the gospel. That's how he introduces him. I am a slave of the Lord. What is a doulos slave? And this is something uh, that was sometimes is translated as like a bond servant. Um, it's, it's a slave who's like become a voluntary, a voluntary slave. Okay, there were some slaves that were taken as captives and whipped and treated horribly, but there were some slaves that were actually became part of the household. 
And even in Jewish culture, um, there were people who voluntarily chose to be slaves because it was hard back then. We can't hardly understand Roman society where a third of the population in Roman society was slaves. But if you were a slave, it was like you were a cowboy on the ranch for life. Like you had a bunkhouse. If you were with this ranch and you were a doulos, you always had a bed. You had four, uh, three square meals a day. You had jobs you had to do, but you were treated well and you had a roof. And whole families would become slaves of a, of a family that treated them well. You wouldn't do this to somebody who was a bad master. You would do it to a good master. And there's provision for this in Exodus. Um, Exodus 21, it gives the whole procedure. And I'll just describe it where it says, if you want to become a, a doulos... Uh, it's in a bed in Hebrew, then what you do is you tell your master, I want to be your slave for life. I'm going to serve you. And your master would say, okay, uh, you, you're, a good, you're a good worker. I'll take you. And I'll, I'll take care of you for the rest of your life and your family. I will take you in. And here's how we will do the ritual so that everyone knows. He goes and clears it with the town leaders and they all know this is going to happen. And then they do a ceremony. And they take the slave-to-be over to the doorpost of the front house, the door or the door jam, and they put the ear right against it, and then they take a sharp spike, an owl, and they drive a hole through the ear, and then they put a ring in there. And if you've got one of those rings, you are a doulos slave, an abed. That means that, that you have earned the respect of your master who wants you and will take care of you, you are now part of the household for the rest of your life and you can only serve one master. You can't be sold. Why is this so important? Remember, Peter says he's a doulos for Jesus, for the gospel. In Isaiah, we're told that Jesus himself is a servant, is a slave of God the Father. This is, a, this is kind of an affectionate term to be a doulos slave where you say, I am sold out and I serve well. So in this passage, you're given the job that Jesus is giving in the parable, the job of taking care of, you will become a, a doulos and you take care of the doulos, the other servants. And what do you do? In verse 43, all right, let's go back up to 42. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise servant? He is the one that his master has put in charge to run the household and give the other servants their share of food at the proper time. So your, your job as, the, as the, the servant, as the slave of this household, is to feed people when they're hungry and to take care of them. And the Greek word here for taking care of him is therapeus, which is like therapy. That's where we get the word therapy. You're, when they're hurting, you're to heal them. When they're discouraged, you're to encourage them. When they're hungry, you're to feed them. And that would be, of course, the word of God as well as meals. Right? So a good and wise servant is one who does the job that God has set before him, and that job is to take care of the people around you and anybody under you that's under your influence, that you're training. Pretty clear. Why should we do this? Because it can get hard. The road can get long. 
is it okay that Jesus says, if you do this and you do it well and I come back and I catch you doing this, I'm gonna be happy? I'm gonna reward you? Jesus, in all of these parables and so many of his teachings, he's saying, by the way, do what I'm talking about and you will be rewarded. It's a good thing. He says, how happy that slave, that servant is if the master finds him doing this, taking care of the people when he comes home. Indeed, I tell you, the master will put that servant in charge of all his property. When you show up doing what God wants you to do in California, Palm Springs, where he's, and it's all yours now. In the previous parable, he says, I'm going to actually put on the apron and I'm go- you sit down, you've been working hard, take a rest, and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to feed you at the table and bring you all kinds of goodies. This is going to be a great day for you. There is a carrot, there's a reward, because it can be hard to hang in there. And I want to, just for fun, to break it up. Um, Beth, if you could run this in just a second, get it ready. Um, as a kid, I, re- I loved the comics. And you would see these, these comics in the newspaper or whatever, where somebody's like on a horse or a donkey, and they've got a stick, and there's a string at the end, and there's a carrot, and they're like getting the horse to go wherever they want by holding the carrot out in front of them. Um, Jesus actually, in a way, does this with us. He promises us things. It's not just to tease us. He knows we need motivation. He knows we need a little help going. And if we could run this clip, uh, carrot out a stick. Your carrot. Ooh, carrot. Not working so good. Can she see it? Yeah, she's trying to eat it. She wants it. She wants the carrot. She wants the carrot. She's like, Mom, give me the carrot. Look at that horse go. (laughs) Once that horse got the uh, taste of that carrot and started getting it, you see, now that's kind of silly, but but that's us too. Jesus, Jesus is okay with this. He says, I'll give you tastes of the kingdom and I want you, I want you to hunger for more and to move forward. And where I dangle this out, I want you to go there, not because I'm toying with you, because there's actually a good meal at the end. There's a kingdom banquet. There's a feast at the end. There's all kinds of blessings that I have prepared for you and I will bring on my day with you. The carrot is for us. And, And 
some Christians feel guilty that they're sometimes motivated a little bit by what Jesus wants us to be motivated, which is a desire for what is good and just, where people are no longer sick and where there's justice and where there's abundance and people flourish. That's a carrot out there. He holds it. Now, some people are not as motivated, motivated by carrot as they are by the whip. And Jesus understands that too. He ran with people who just didn't believe the promises and sometimes they had to hear a threat. So part two of this parable is the threat. It's the whip and it's harsh. But read with me or listen. But if that servant that I've given all of this to and given the responsibility to, to feed and take care of the people, to bring the kingdom. If that servant who says that he or she is my servant, who calls himself or herself a follower, a doulos, if that person who goes to church or who has said the sinner's prayer or, or made a profession of faith, if that person who, who knows what they're supposed to do and doesn't do it. If that person, verse 45, but if that servant says to himself that his master is taking a long time to come back, and if he begins to beat the other, other servants, to abuse them, both the men and the women, then the master will come back one day when the servant does not expect him. There we go again. And at that time, he does not know. That servant is in for a rude awakening. It's not going to go well for the servant who's neglected the job or even worse, started to make it hard for the kingdom. The master will cut him or her in pieces and make him share the fate of the disobedient. For that person, it's going to be a blowout day with the pile up on the freeway and the flames the person who knows what they're supposed to do and doesn't do it is in for trouble. Uh, it's not my idea to come here and, and, and try and rattle people with the fear of hell. It was Jesus' idea that for some people, they just need that from time to time. Some people need to be reminded. I hope you're, you're like so locked in with God that when I talk about the kingdom coming and the day of glory and the golden age to come when Jesus returns, you're going, yeah, man, I know all about that and it's nice to be reminded of that. If you're a little bit asleep, if you're a little bit careless with what you're doing for the kingdom, then maybe you just need to hear, by the way, it's not just the carrot, it's also the whip. There's trouble for people who fall down on the job or worse yet, lay down on the job. The servant who knows what his master wants him to do but does not get himself or herself ready and do it will be punished with a heavy whipping. Much is required from the person to whom much is given. Much more is required from the person to whom much more is given. Where does this fall on me and you this morning? How much have you been given? I mean, when God grabs me once in a while and, and looks me in the eyes and I can feel his hot breath in my face and says, dude, you're falling asleep. You're getting lazy. You're drifting. Your love is growing, growing cold. Don't you know? I'm going to surprise you one of these days. 
Maybe it's on my drive home that at my, the end of my days is a car wreck on, on I-25. Maybe I got cancer in a couple of weeks, it shows up. I don't know when my day is, but I know I have a day of meeting the Lord coming. And I know that you do. And some people live with that constantly. Some people push it way off. We know that all of history has a day of the Lord coming because Jesus taught it over and over and over. About 25% of scripture is pointing towards his first coming and his second coming and the kingdom to come. It's a big theme and we cannot neglect it. And the question is, are we ready? How much have we been given? When God talks to me and he says, look, I've given you this education. I've given you health. You've never even spent a night in the hospital your whole life. You've never had a broken bone. You've got health. You've got education. You've got the gospel. What is God telling you that you've got? Have you got it good? I mean, we can normally think when we think about the, you know, like the parable of the talents, which, by the way, comes in the same context. It's one of the parables of the, the Olivet Discourse. He says, some people have been given like, you know, five or some people have given 10. How many have you been given? Have you been given some stuff? Time, treasure, and talents, right? Here in America, most of us, you know, we spend more on a, a cup of Starbucks than families in the third world have to live on for the whole family for a week. We have been given treasures. You know this. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just reviewing. Have you been given much? Because that's how Jesus concludes his parables, to whom much has been given. Have you been given a lot of money? You may seem like you're running tight, but pretty good chance compared to the rest of the world, you've been given quite a bit. So we think of, of, of talents and the education that we can read. There's people in the world who can't read. We've been given so much training in schools and, and classes that we've had and workshops we've gone to and this church but I want to press what we've been given a little farther to make sure you really and I really realize that we have been given um, the word, the gospel, the good news. You're here this morning, you're hearing biblical teaching. This is a gift. There are people in the world, um, let's say, some, there's a, you know there's a revival of the church in places like Syria right now? They can't, literally, they can't kill them fast enough right now in Syria. Um, there's, a, there's a missionary over there who said it's phenomenal. It seems like for every Christian that gets killed in Syria, two new conversions happen. But they don't get to come on a Sunday morning and sit here in an air-conditioned room hearing somebody who's been trained in Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff expounding on the word. They're just getting pieces of it. And some of them won't even hold the gospel for more than a couple of months before they'll die for having chosen to not pray towards Mecca. It was interesting this morning, I, I um, went to the issue of the mark of the beast just briefly, and I just, I think I feel, I, I should say that again. I, I'm not saying for sure, who knows, what it means to take the mark of the beast, but one thing it actually does mean right now in the Middle East, in Muslim-majority countries, is that when the pr call to prayer comes five times a day, Everyone is supposed to stop what they're doing. So the shops close for a minute. You can't finish ringing up the sale. You stop what you're doing and you physically sit down, kneel down, and then you place your head and your face down on the ground towards Mecca. And what is Mecca? Well, there's the, the, the Kaaba in the center, this big square thing embedded in the corner of it is a black stone. They are kneeling, they are worshiping, they're paying homage 
not to Allah directly, but to the stone directly. They are directly facing a black stone. This is the biggest service of idolatry in the history of our planet. There's something like a billion Muslims who face Mecca and pay homage to the stone. What happens if you decide you're not going to kneel to the stone when the call to prayer goes out? You get identified. You will get persecuted. You might even get hauled off in the night and killed for failing to pay homage to this thing in Mecca. And for us, we're not asked to do that. We're not called off we do that. But there are ways that we are pressured to conform to the world around us, to cut corners and to live lives because if we don't, it'll be disrupted. Things can go bad for us. If we kind of say that really wasn't a funny joke, that was a mean joke, uh, we can get ridiculed or we can get shunned or we can like, ooh, let's not invite her to the next party. She's such a prude. So what do we do? We take the mark of the beast. We, we just say, we will conform to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We will laugh with everybody else. And this comes to all kinds of decisions we make and how, how big our closets are for our wardrobes, the cars we drive. There are ways that we just say, I want to keep it the way it is. I want to flourish in this world, in the flesh, and the devil. And as the heat rises, as the shaking gets more intense, as the testing comes, and Jesus says it's coming, we may be called to stop conforming so much and to start presenting a counter message, a counterculture message, a message of a different kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, rather than the kingdom of the world around us. And we may stick out for not taking the mark of the beast of conformity to what's going on around us. Um, that's a bit of a side, but if you live in some parts of the world, as I said, that is already happening, and the persecution and the suffering is coming. When Jesus comes, how is he going to find us? Um, I'm going to wrap up here with a little bit with a story, uh, the true thing about my son, who uh, he, he went to Durango, Fort Lewis College, and uh, spent a lot of time at Purgatory on the snowboard and up at Wolf Creek on the skis uh, and got a philosophy major. So can you imagine what he's doing now? <laughs> right, I see half of you going, he's working at Starbucks, and the other half goes, he's working in fast food. Yeah, well, he's working in uh, fast food. He's a manager in a Quadoba up in Fort Collins. And um, he gets moved around as a manager to wherever they're short-staffed. And he, I saw him a couple weeks ago, and he had, he had just come off a shift at the campus location. The, there's a Cordoba right across from the sports complex. And um, you literally go out of the big gym up there in Fort Collins at CSU. You cross over the street, and there's a Cordoba and a couple other fast food places. There was some kind of volleyball tournament going on. And so the teams would all come in at once in a hurry with a short break, needing their, their healthy Quadoba fast food as quickly as possible so they could get back. So a lot of pressure. And Evan shows up to, to, to run the shift, and the assistant manager had called in sick. And then one of the line people had quit. And somebody else had some excuse. He couldn't reach him on the phone. They should have had somewhere between five and seven people working at Quidoba that day for that shift. There were three of them running the whole place. 
So Evan is working the line. My son is working the line and the cash register. Someone else is working the line. Someone else is dicing up food as they run out and trying to clear the plates. And there are three of them running it with a nonstop line all the way out the door. That's what life can feel like on this long road trip sometimes. It can be hard to endure, to hang in there. It can get crazy. But if the general manager walks in and sees these people and my son trying to hold a team together and working under those conditions, you can bet the GM is going to be right on. You are an employee. Man, I'm going to give you a gold star. No raise, no bonus, but a gold star because... Uh, <laughs> I mean, that would, that would, can you imagine the delight of the general manager seeing this team busting it on the line like that, pulling together? He's going to be delighted. And then there's going to be, you know, a, a, a celebration of some sort and a sense of well done, good and faithful servant. But picture the other scenario in this parable. One parable is you hang in there even when it gets tough, even when you get swamped. The other version is, well, the GM, the general manager hasn't come by, hasn't come by. This is getting really tough. You know, well, let's just take a break. Now, these guys worked right through their breaks, you know, but let's just take a break. And you sit down and you just maybe throw the, the bolt on the door and lock the door and lock the customers out. And you just start making your own sandwich, goofing around, and, 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 and maybe even, according to the parable, maybe, maybe you abuse one of the other employees, take advantage of them. Maybe you're, you're getting sloppy and lazy and, and you decide, well, you know, there's a bunch of money in the cash register and I'm not getting paid enough and this has been a hard day and you reach your hand in the till and maybe you, you, you pull out a, a hip flask of uh, schnapps and start drinking a little schnapps and getting goofy and having a wild party and you got your hand in the till and now the GM walks in, the general manager walks in and catches you with a bottle of schnapps with your hand in the till, the place in chaos what's going to be the response of the general manager? At minimum, you're going to be fired. Like, you're no longer part of this organization. At worst, the charges will be pressed. You could do jail time for, for robbing and uh, for breaking down the business, right? Jesus gives us both in this parable. He gives us both the carrot, like there really is a reason to press on and there's something good on the other end of this, uh, this hard work and this long road trip. Or he gives us the warning of the whip and of the blowout that could come. So as we uh, wrap this up and I go into a, a word of prayer, uh, I want you to just reflect with me on the grace of God to, to cut us in on this, on the resources we've been given, the gift we've been given. He's given us a prophecy, a prophecy that he is going to return. And he's saying, be ready. He's saying, be ready. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word. I pray for myself, for my family, every person in this room, their family and friends. Lord, help us to manage the resources, to be faithful and wise servants, to do your work, to receive your reward, and to dodge the bullet. You give us permission to look at it that way, and I just pray that we would be what you want us to be by your power. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Stand and let's